You like old-time radio? I, I sometimes do, like if I'm driving across the country alone at night in the CBS radio mystery theater. When I was a kid, I used to love to listen to good radio from Moody Bible Institute, like stories of great Christians. Coming to you from the studios of the Moody Bible Institute at 820 North LaSalle Street in Chicago, Illinois. I had to get that in there because we had a Wheaton plug, so we always had to <laughs> counter that. No, I'm kidding about that. I like old-time radio. Unshackled. Unshackled. Uh, we used to listen to as a kid, still sometimes do. It's the longest-running radio program in the history of radio in the world. Unshackled. That's it. <laughs> There was a moody radio program that I used to love to listen to, still do every once in a while on the internet, called Conference Echoes. Isn't that a cool name? Conference Echoes. They go to places like Mount Hermon, places where there were Bible conferences, and they would record great Bible teaching from years ago, and then they would bring it back and play it on the radio like a conference echo. I love that. Every once in a while, when I was preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and I had three or four fresh preparations a week, and I would travel and go to a conference, I would come back to our church, and on Sunday night, I would say, tonight we're going to have conference echoes. In other words, I'm not going to prepare my own message, but I'm just going to tell you some of the stuff that the Lord blessed me with when I was at the conference, and I feel like this series is a little bit like conference echoes or camp echoes. Do you mind? Thanks for being good about that. You uh, have put up with my camp enthusiasm, and you've been sweet about that. I trust it's been helpful to you and fruitful to you. And we're in this series of messages between the fires where we're expre expressing an answer to the question that campers often ask when they go home, and that is, I feel like I have a fire of faith burning in my heart, but how do I keep it burning all my life? And we, it's a review to remind you of what we've been talking about. We would say, well, you need to be born again. You need to be genuinely converted. You need to be saved. And then you would consecrate your life to the Lord. And then you, your batteries run down. You'd consecrate yourself to the Lord again. You'd schedule seasonal renewals of consecration. That, that might be Christian counseling. Very much so. It might be Christian camp. It might be a concert. It might be getting with somebody who's profoundly spiritually influential and just being around them. But you would schedule seasonal renewals, reminders of your consecration. And then, of course, you would never really grow spiritually if you didn't have weekly reminders of eternal things or if you didn't assemble with the brothers and sisters and let them encourage you. This is God's way, his plan in our time, his church. And with all of its flaws, it's God's plan, it's God's way. And we need it. All of us need it. And, and I'm preaching to the choir right now about that, aren't I? As you're here. And then you would, so you'd want to be saved, consecrated, seasonal renewals of consecration, weekly reminders of eternal things. And then you would want, wouldn't you want daily habits of the heart? You'd want to put, not as a slavish duty, but just as an expression of your love for the Lord and your need, just habits of the heart. I my heart was really heavy this week. Lois and I just have very heavy hearts this week. And as I realized, I need to read my Bible with my heavy heart and uh, listen to my Bible. Sometimes I walk and listen to it on my, my Dwell Bible app. And, and while I was listening again, something I'd read maybe hundreds and hundreds of times just came out of nowhere as a balm to my soul, as an encouragement to me. 
You, you need daily habits of the heart. There needs to be daily habits of the heart if we're going to have a fire that burns all of our life. And then last week, you remember we talked about moment by moment. It's kind of the goal. Moment by moment intimacy with Christ. Looking at the Christian life as moment by moment walking in continual fellowship with the Lord. And that's really what the fire of faith is. It's your, it's your love for the Lord and you're, and, you're, and you're receiving his love for you is really what the fire of faith is. It's not that emo, as wonderful as these emotional experiences are and as wonderful as a particular teaching can be and all of that, it really boils down to, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Like Jesus said to Peter over the fire at breakfast when he restored him. And now we have conference echoes because there's something I want to talk to you about that's really extremely powerful and repeated regularly in the scripture. And it is learning to turn our brokenness into a blessing. You're going to have heartache. You're going to have hurt that comes and it's going to threaten to take away all, to, to douse the fire of your faith, to take away from you the things that you believe and that you've learned. And, that, and we want to talk about that. All summer long, I have sat with children who are trying to navigate brokenness in their life. It hits painfully close to home for us. Maybe you too. Uh, one night, a few years ago, I was lying in bed with one of my grandsons who said to me, I had a dream my mom and dad were back together. I thought, I thought that I was, my heart was just crushed with that. Your mom and dad aren't going to be back together. And then he went to sleep, and then I listened to him breathe, and I thought, ah, this little boy is from a broken home. Doesn't it just sound like a curse, a broken home? I remember growing up thinking about, that a broken home. You don't want to have a broken home. It just sounds like a curse, doesn't it? How could a person ever recover from that level of brokenness? As I lay in bed at night, questions went through my mind about that. There's this little boy that I love so much have to live a cursed life. And then at camp, when I talk to kids and they tell me the things they tell me, it's a girl who's been terribly hurt, struggling to understand that hurt. Is she cursed for life because of that terrible hurt? And interestingly, it's, you know, football season and I got a hold of a biography of a Big Ten football player, a quarterback, Kirk Herbstreet, who is probably the premier college football announcer today on television. And he has an autobiography out. I got the audible version. I started to listen to it. And I realized this is not a book about football. Because Kirk Herbstreet says, a lot of times people say, I live a blessed life and I look like the Ken in Barbie and Ken. It should have been Lois and Ken, but I look like the Ken in Barbie and Ken. Because, but what people don't know is I'm a product of a broken home. And the first few chapters, all he really talks about is how a boy can navigate the pain of brokenness in his life. So is there a way to turn brokenness into blessing? Is there an answer for campers who say, how do I deal with my dad being gone or that I don't even know my dad? Or how can I process a boy who says, how can I process my desire to be a girl? How can I help a little boy deal with brokenness in his life? How can I, how have I learned 
to take the brokenness in my, my life and turn it to a blessing? And is there a way to turn brokenness into a blessing? Reminds me of the lyrics of a song I love a lot by Fernando Ortega. Find me a place on the earth where a weary man can rest and listen for your voice in the turning seasons. A quiet place in the world where I can bow and confess that I fear where you have brought me, mysterious God. When we're broken and when brokenness touches our lives, we want to believe, we want to trust, but we wonder if we're just going to live under a curse. This is usually, this will usually be humbling for us, be, be terrifying for us. It, Jesus had occasion to sweat drops of blood when he felt the brokenness that was upon him and prayed to be delivered from the cross. Probably all of us have had a time where we say, I fear where you have brought me, mysterious God. I used to just sing this hymn when I was a kid, glibly. I didn't know that my life was going to hurt this bad. I didn't know this thing would ever happen to me or somebody that I love. I thought if I got saved, everything was going to get better. So let's talk about this. I've been thinking about this. A mentor of mine, I think he used to say something like, a message prepared in a mind reaches the minds of other people. But a message prepared in your life touches the lives of other people. And I have to tell you, this is truth I'm living through and have lived through, and maybe you have too. I'm sure you have. And, I, and, I, and I, I've used this term brokenness, and it's used frequently and probably in a helpful way in our time, but it's often left with really a fuzzy, foggy definition. You want to go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible mean when it says brokenness? And there, there's a range of meaning for the word when it's used in the Bible. There's a, then what do we, and and I was thinking this summer as I was trying to preach and teach young people in a way that would be old truth that's presented in in a fresh and helpful way. How do I talk to them about the hurt in their lives and how the hurt in their lives can help them to God or it can crush them, it can destroy them, it can even damn them. Every kid has a list running in his heart. Never grown up does too. And what you do with that list, if you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, he'll make your path straight, he'll help you. But if you don't trust in the Lord, it can kill you, it can crush you, it can destroy you, it can damn you. So serious. And so I thought about the definition of brokenness. I'll give you two, and the notes on this are online. If you want to go back later and look at them, if they're helpful to you, they're at BethelJackson.org on the sermon site. But think about this. We're going to think about two meanings of brokenness and then how to turn brokenness into blessing. Two meanings of brokenness. The popular way of talking about brokenness, I've thought about it a bit, and, and I would say it's, it's, it's a way that we express being hurt. In particular, we would say as Christians, hurt by sin. When we talk about brokenness, maybe that's what we're usually talking about. And I am terribly self-conscious having Christian counselors in the front row and... So you check with them later. Anyway, I'm confident this is true, what I'm going to tell you, and that is that brokenness, the way we talk about it, is often how have we been damaged by sin? And I've thought about that a lot this summer as I was dealing with young people and thought about you, my, my beloved congregation, 
And that is we're hurt by the sin in the world, the fallenness in the world. When a tree falls on our house, it's, a, it's an expression of the sin curse on the world. When the basement floods because the power went out, it's a curse. It's because we live in a sin-cursed world. We're hurt by the sin that's around us. But then when somebody sins and, and against us, that's a particularly difficult kind of hurt. The sin around us, the sin against us. And then this is the worst of all, isn't it? The sin within us. When Paul talked about it in Romans 7, he called it indwelling sin. And it was the, it's one of the darkest, lowest points of Scripture to read what he said in Romans 7 about the wrestling that we have with our own sin. Brokenness is how sin affects us, the sin around us, the sin against us, the sin within us. What I want to show you is very hopeful, though. What, when we've been hurt by the sin around us, when we've been hurt by the sin against us, the sin within us, or when a loved one lying next to you in bed has to face a whole lifetime of dealing with brokenness, is there any hope for that little boy? Is there any hope for that little girl? Is there any hope for you, for me, when we live in this broken, fallen world? Ezekiel 34, 16 says, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured. In another version, it's broken there. And I'll strengthen the weak. God cares about our hurts and our injuries and our brokenness. Here's the irony, and this is the central truth of the message. This is the big idea, and then I'm going to prove it after I tell you, okay? Here's the irony. Oh, there's another definition of brokenness. I'm sorry. There's the definition of brokenness that we use popularly, and that is how we've been hurt by sin. There's the definition of brokenness as it's usually used in Scripture, and that is I'm humbled before God. I'm submissive to God. I'm trusting God. I'm believing the songs I sang today. I'm trusting God like I say I'm trusting God in the songs that I sing or the things they taught me when I was a boy. Now that I'm in the crucible, now that I'm in the fire, now that I'm in the trial, now am I going to obey? Am I going to trust? Am I going to obey? Am I going to move forward in faith? Am I still going to trust Him with my life, my difficulty, my circumstances, my brokenness, the way sin has affected me, that's brokenness the way the Bible usually talks about it. Because the Bible does talk about it like it's a good thing to be broken. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. You won't reject the person who has a broken heart. Like it's something you want. And here's the irony of it. And this is the big idea. When we, in our brokenness, are broken before God, that's the secret of God turning our brokenness into a blessing. Does that make sense? When we take the way that sin has hurt us, and instead of resisting God or doubting God or rebelling against God, we submit ourselves to God. We humble ourselves. We, we seek His face. We trust His ways. We follow what we know in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we turn, even a little boy who comes from a broken home, can look forward to a life of blessing, but only if he clings to God. That's what his grandfather figured out. Even, you know, we're tempted in the areas of our strength before we get beat up by this world to think that we're going to amount to something because of our bag of tricks. Can I tell you my bag of tricks story? I wanted to be a pastor, so I thought I'll start out by being a youth pastor. I got some training to be a youth pastor. I got good training to be a youth pastor. Went to some schools, went to some conferences. I got a bag of tricks. I'm kind of 
enthusiastic and talkative. You may have noticed this. And I thought, I can take my bag of tricks and I should go be a blessing. And I, when I was 17 years old, I, I pastored a church. It sounds better than it really was. It sounds really cool. But, you know, you didn't have to listen to me then. Anyway, I was 17 and I was in high school and I pastored a little church in the country. And Franklin Cody, Pastor Franklin Cody in Greenville, Ohio at the United Methodist Church was the head of the, the uh church council, and he heard about this 17-year-old pastor, and he was gracious enough to invite me to speak to the Boy Scout Jamboree. He was going to assign, he, he had the responsibility for the Boy Scout Jamboree. I, coming from a separatist, Baptist, fundamentalist, fire-breathing King James, no, I'm just kidding. Coming from that background, I was like, I'm not sure this guy really is a Christian. My dad says, well, you should just talk to him. Can you imagine? I'm 17, and I go interview this pastor. I'm like, do you believe the virgin birth? Do you believe the Bible is true? And he's just like, I do believe the virgin birth. It was so sweet. I do believe the virgin birth. I cherish the Bible. I'm, I'm like, how can these things be? He's not a Baptist. <laughs> oh, I get it. You know, so confusing. <laughs> um, I did, incidentally, I'm, we're talking with Clyde Taylor, who I think was, you know, was a, 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 a evangelical. He was talking to my dad one day, and he says, it's interesting, the fundamentalist they have to practice on earth what they can't practice in heaven because they have to get along with evangelicals in heaven. Plus, he said, in Bible translation, the fundamentalists depend on the evangelicals for Bibles on the field. So there's that, you know, that you learn these things. It's, you, little, that was a little pastor joke if you missed it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Stuff you learn. Anyway, had this bag of tricks. This pastor said, you can speak to the Boy Scout Jamboree. Thank you for letting me go down that little side road there. So I went and I spoke to this Boy Scout Jamboree in Greenville, Ohio. It was hundreds of Boy Scouts and a big jamboree, and it was a, quite a privilege. And I remember I brought some people with me, my brother-in-law and my sister, Pastor Cody was there. And then I kind of did my Billy Graham on them. I kind of did my bag of tricks, preached the gospel. 23 boys came forward at my invitation to receive Christ. This is, I, I remember going over close to Pastor uh, Franklin Cody and making sure he was telling the boys the right thing. It was just, it wasn't good. But he was, he was just giving them the gospel. And, and here was my thought, and, and, and stay with me. Um, I thought, that wasn't that hard. I, I thought, well, I just got up and I did my Billy Graham thing and 23 people came forward. I'm, I guess I'm going to have a pretty blessed life here. But I'm just going to go around and do my Billy Graham thing everywhere and I'll just take my bag of tricks with me. And this is a longer story than I meant for it to be, but have you figured out where this is going? There were times that I discovered that when my bag of tricks was empty, things still weren't working. Nobody was coming forward. People were actually going away. I could give you the details, but they're not that much fun to talk about. So I had to go, God, so my bag of tricks, I'm going to have to have more than my bag of tricks. And he's, he's like, yeah, that was an example of brokenness when I go, okay, God, I guess my bag of tricks alone isn't going to win multitudes for you. You're going to have something. Maybe you're going to be a boy that plays ball and then your knee's going to get blown out. And you're going to have to decide, you know, am I still going to follow him when my dreams are crushed? Maybe you're going to be a mom who has all these beautiful dreams for your kids and then they're going to tell you something someday that just crushes your heart and you think you can't even breathe anymore. And then you're going to have to decide, okay, are you going to follow the Lord? The irony is, though, when in our humility, when in our hurt, we humble ourselves before God, when sin hurts us, we still go to God and humble ourselves and submit to him and obey him. 
when we're broken, when we're humble, when we're trusting, when we're yielded, when we're surrendered, that's the way of blessing. Scripture promises that brokenness produces blessing. This, this, may, this may be a series instead of a message, but let's start anyway. Let me give you a handful. Number one, when you, when, when you I'm, what I'm doing here is I'm showing you this in four or five passages of Scripture, the same truth. I'm right? just going to show you. And, and one of them is John 15, 5 that says, I am the vine. Jesus said, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. In other words, without me, even with a bag of tricks, you will not bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do, you know how this is finished? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Even with a bag of tricks. Has Billy Graham been used of God, do you think? Yeah, of course he has. I read this article here. Back in 95, a newspaper reported on the family of Billy and Ruth Graham who had five children, some might expect the offspring of the most influential religious leader in the modern world to live lives approaching perfection, whether by choice or by force. But Gigi and Anne and Ruth and Franklin and Ned, the children of Billy and Ruth Graham, would be the first to laugh at such a notion, even though they're all involved in Christian ministry today, quote, we're a family like any other family with our own joys and heartaches. In other words, we are broken too. The younger Ruth Graham said in 1995 interview with the Citizen Times, we're not immune because we're Billy Graham's kids. It's true the five younger Grahams have had their share of human difficulties, read brokenness, right? Divorces, runaway grandchildren, drug abuse, some general misbehavior in the children's younger years. One daughter, Ruth Graham, wrote in 2004 a book recounting some of her struggles, and the title was, In Every Pew, Says a Broken Heart. Yeah, sin has touched Billy Graham's kids, but God used them. Sin touched Ruth Graham's kids, but God used them. And sin will touch you, and you can be used of God if you humble yourself. So when we are broken in our brokenness, it produces spiritual abundance or fruit. That's one. Here's another one. It also results in spiritual power. A.W. Tozer famously wrote, God rarely uses a man greatly until he has broken him deeply. I read that when I was young. I thought, I hope not. But it's, it's true. Women, women as well. Uh, women, God uses powerfully are women who have experienced brokenness and who live broken before God. You know this. Think of the people who have influenced, the women who have influenced you, the men who have influenced you powerfully, spiritually. The most powerful servants of Christ are not chirpy, shallow optimists who, who have a sunny way of looking at things because they've been born to privilege and they live lives of ease and luxury. Those people's lives don't really make good reading. Now, the ones that make good reading are the ones whose, story, whose, whose stories involve hardship and hurt, brokenness, and they've given their broken, the broken pieces of their lives to God. And they've become beautiful and blessed and used of God. Listen to the way one who was terribly broken said this. This is super powerful. It's Paul the Apostle. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Listen to this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, Paul had a bag of tricks too, right? A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded from the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my 
weakness so the power of Christ may rest on me for the, for the sake of Christ, then I am content. Listen to this list. I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for when I'm weak, then I am strong, powerfully, spiritually strong. We have, if you're like us, we have powerful reasons to be sympathetic with people because of the brokenness that, that we experience. Powerful reasons to be sympathetic with people with mental health struggles or people with marital pain or people with sexual disorientation or people with poverty or oppression or injustice when we have been damaged by those things. And sometimes it's good for us just to listen to people who have been hurt in different ways than us and validate that by listening carefully to them and recognizing that they're expressing something that we haven't experienced like they have. That'd be really Christian, wouldn't it? What happens when we take our brokenness and we're broken before the Lord? We, th those are people with abundant lives. Those are people with spiritual power. Those are people that we read it today. That's what results in holiness of life, Christ-likeness, holiness. Proverbs 20, 30 popped into my ears in my quiet time this week. Blows that wound cleanse away evil. His strokes make clean the innermost parts. Like, I know it hurts, but you're becoming more like me. How many times I've said to the Lord, Lord, why are you letting this happen to me? And I've heard back, I love you, and this is, this is motivating you to, to get on your knees. This is breaking you. You get on your knees, and you're more like me. The holiness grows. Sometimes our brokenness, God is allowing us to be afflicted for our ultimate good. This is what the Bible teaches it's not popular teaching, but it's really important teaching. Sometimes God shows he's a good, good father by allowing us to travel a way that is really painful. We know that he's promised to withhold no good thing. We know all things work together for good. But the good he intends for us will sometimes come by way of pain. This is the way the writer of Hebrews wrote it in Hebrews 12, 11 and 12. For the, for the moment, in the fire, in the brokenness, all discipline seems painful, not pleasant. Like, yeah, I remember reading that going, that's true. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been, who've been under it, who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. He's saying, don't be discouraged. What's happening now isn't to destroy you. It's God is allowing it, and in sovereign purposes, he's allowing it for your good. But sometimes he has to get our attention first. My grandfather used to tell this old saw of a story. He used to tell, I'd hear him tell it to his neighbor. He said, yeah, he says a guy one time said he had a donkey that would be a really good donkey to work the farm. And he sold it to a guy. He says, man, it's very submissive. It's very obedient. All you have to do is whisper in his ear and he'll do whatever you say. So the guy gave a premium price for it, took it home. And that donkey was as stubborn as any donkey he had ever had. No matter what he whispered in his ear, that donkey would not do anything. He called him back and said, come and get this. You lied to me. This donkey won't do anything, no matter what I whispered in his ear. And the guy came over and says, well, let's take a look. And he picked up a two before and hit the donkey between the eyes and said, did I, rem did I tell you you have to get his attention first? <laughs> My grandpa told that story a hundred times. Well, God doesn't want to hit you between the eyes with a two before, but it's going to feel that way sometimes. One of the first things you want to do when things aren't going your way is just to say, God, you have my attention. I'm on my knees. I'm, I'm in your word. I'm, I'm not going to walk away from you right now. I'm going to trust you with this. God, help me. 
to trust you with this. And then it is Hebrews 12. The first part we read, it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you like sons, daughters. What son or daughter is there whom a father doesn't discipline? I don't care how she turns out. No, no, not if you're a good dad. You care how she turns out. You're left without discipline, which we have all participated, then you're illegitimate children, not sons or daughters. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Track with that. He's give, this analogy is, if you're wise, you respected your father when he showed his love by disciplining you, and if you're wise, you'll respect God by trusting him when you are under the pain of discipline. Just always ask, Lord, is there anything in my life that you're trying to get my attention about? You have my attention. And move from there. He may be allowing something in your life that isn't a result of your sin, but it would be good to examine your heart first and then move on. Shall we not much more, continuing to read from Hebrews 12, 7 through 10, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? That's broken, that's humble, that's submissive, that's subject to the Father of spirits. And then we have life for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. If bad things are happening to you, God is doing something good, but sometimes it will hurt like fire, I promise you. And you'll have to repent. And you won't see the good for a while. Those who endure in their faith will see it later, maybe even in eternity. Here's number four thing to, re to review. What happens when we give our brokenness to God in brokenness? Then the blessing comes in the form of spiritual fruit or abundance. The blessing comes in the form of spiritual power. The blessing comes in the form of greater holiness. The blessing comes in the form of love. Listen to this one. I, I love this one. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Brokenness produces love. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, trust in the confidence in the promises of God. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love is, is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. It's in, that, it's in that pain, it's in that brokenness, it's in our right response to that brokenness that we experience these things like powerful hope, confidence in God, and the love of God in, in the experience that we may not have had before. And it brings life. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. All these are powerful. You can richly feed on these all through the week. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, for 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This was the Apostle Paul saying, I despaired of life. Indeed, we felt we had been given a death sentence. You ever had that feeling like, God, are you killing me right now? But that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's poetic, isn't it? I felt like I had the death sentence, so I don't rely upon myself, but the one who can raise the dead. Okay, God, if you're going to kill me, I'm going to trust you to raise me from the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Wow. It's heartening, isn't it? Let me give you three examples of this. The prodigal sons... The prodigal sons, one of them was broken by going off and living a you know, riotous living. And then he's in the hog pen 
and he's broken before God and humbles himself and comes back to receive the blessing. But then the other son was broken by that sinful reaction and jealousy of his brother. And, you, and, and the, the credits roll before we find out what happens to him in the story. Does he ever experience the blessing of God or not? We're, we're all out in the dark and we're waiting to see, are you going to trust God with your life and with your brokenness and with the way sin has affected you? Here's another example in the Bible. David, remember he was sinned and he was confronted by Nathan. Thou art the man. And what did he do? No, I'm not the man. No, that David was broken and that it's expressed in psalm 51 and the other penitent psalms david was a shepherd before he was a king remember and they say that sometimes a good shepherd has to go break the leg of a sheep that's prone to wander have you heard this is broken david was broken by betrayal but he was also deeply broken by his own shameful sins one upon another and he must have remembered the lamb with a broken leg resting on the shoulders of the shepherd when in the sweet penitent psalm he wrote, let me hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken will rejoice. There was another example. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whose whole life was suffering. And in Gethsemane he suffered, just sweat drops of blood, and on Calvary he suffered and died. He was tried and tortured and crucified. And this is what it says about, Jesus said from his lips about this in John 12, 23 through 25. Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. When hardship comes into your life, when you're touched by somebody hurting you or the world around you being against you or the poverty that you experience or the difficulty or the prejudice that you've experienced, know this, if you give that to God and you humble yourself before God and you, by the grace of God, with the help of God, follow God, you're headed for a blessing. You are not going to live under a curse. This is what God promised. And Voskamp has written well about this in a book called The Broken Way. And she tells this beautiful story. Her husband is a farmer. Anne Voskamp shares this beautiful exchange between her husband, her and her farmer husband. His encouragement is for all of us. God uses broken things in the world for good. He says this, you know, he says to her, you know everything all across the farm says the same thing. You know that, right? He waits until I let him look me in the eye, and he looks into my brokenness. Yeah, he said, the seed breaks to give us the wheat, and the soil breaks to give us the crop, and the sky breaks to give us rain, and the wheat breaks to give us bread, and the bread breaks to feed our souls. And even once, he said, there was an alabaster jar that broke and gave God the glory. He looks right through the cracks of me, she says. And he says, slowly, like he means it, never be afraid of being a broken thing. There you have conference echoes, thoughts on a summer of dealing with people who live in a broken world. Bad things happen to you. God's doing something good, but it may hurt like fire. And you may need to repent, humble yourself. You won't see the good for a while. But those who endure in their faith will see it later. 
perhaps in eternity. Will you be broken in your brokenness? Will you trust him with everything on your list? With your sins, with your shame, with your hurts, with your brokenness, with your bitterness, with your anxiety, with your fear, with your illness, with your hardship, with your poverty, with your difficulty? Will you be broken enough to hand him the broken pieces of your life and trust him that he can make something beautiful out of them? Even that will be painful and terrifying, the sun will come out one day and you will enjoy the bright sunshine of his favor. We want you to go on your way with a blessing today. And we want you to know that you can have a blessing, even though you're deeply aware of the curse. Chairman of our elders, uh, Neil Veit's going to come and pronounce a blessing on us.